0: Welcome to our podcast, uh, From the Preacher's Study. Uh, My name is Kevin Clark, and I, along with Bob Hutto, will be your teachers uh, for this period of time. We're very glad that you're with us. We're continuing our study of the book of Ephesians and uh, have really enjoyed making our way through the verses, uh, trying to do so a little bit at a time, and trying to draw and extract from the verses, meaning that will really help us in our lives, uh, very practical things about these theological things that we're being taught through God's Word. Uh, We really want to express thanks and support uh, for uh, Mark and Jason who have made this possible with their technological expertise and their abilities and aptitudes. And we want to thank all the people out there who have said so many kind things to encourage us to continue this work. I know Bob has received a lot of positive feedback. I certainly have myself. And I really appreciate that because, A, it shows that people are listening and watching and tuning in, and that they appreciate the effort, and most importantly, they appreciate the Word of God that's being exalted, because that's what we're trying to do here, not exalting ourselves and and what we want to do, but really what God has to say. And we firmly believe, as Isaiah 55 says, that whenever the Word of God is set forth in a community, it's going to accomplish His purpose. It's going to really do what He intended. It will not return to Him void. So we have every confidence for those of you who are listening, you're benefiting from the Word of God. Do you have some introductory remarks you want to make?
1: Well, I, again, I, we appreciate everybody looking in and, and watching and listening uh, and uh, thinking along with us as we work through. We're working through the Book of Ephesians. We're in Chapter Two, mm-hmm. kind of taking it section by section. Maybe devoting a couple of our sessions to a, a particular par- paragraph or section, uh, just to try to uh, extract uh, as much a, of it as we can in a format like this. Sure. Uh, but anyway, we really support uh, appreciate everyone's support and hope that. Uh, we are uh, uh, guiding people into some useful information and and some good good thoughts that'll help them. Last time we talked a little bit about uh, mm-hmm. an issue that we run into from time to time, mm-hmm. uh, just a misunderstanding of the relationship between the old covenant and the new covenant, or the old testament and the new testament, uh, from Ephesians chapter two, beginning in verse eleven. But there's an important aspect of that particular passage that we didn't say a whole lot about right. that I think we're going to address this week.
0: Absolutely. I really appreciate the work that you did last time. One other verse, last verse that came to mind as we were talking about that, I'll get that out there before we transition, is in Galatians chapter 3 and uh, verse 23. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. So I like that idea that there was a, uh, a use, a purpose for the old law, and that ultimately was to bring us to Christ, and once that purpose has been accomplished, uh, Jesus talked about fulfilling, and I love that, fulfilling the purpose of the Old Testament, then we no longer need the Old Testament, at least not in that way. Certainly we know that we can get examples. First Corinthians 10, 12 tells us that. And those things that are written there, Romans 15, 1 through 3, actually 1 through 4, tells us that these things are written for our learning. Uh, but as far as using them to establish the doctrine of the church or the work of the church or the approved practices of the church, We don't need that anymore. Why? Because it was designed to bring us to Christ. We're now in Christ, and so we take our marching orders now uh, from Christ through His inspired Word. And so, uh, very powerful teaching there. As you said, a lot of people get that confused. We're not in any way saying that uh, God's Old Testament is not important. Throw out the baby with the bathwater. There certainly is a role there. uh, But we're saying that what we're under is the New Testament and so if we're going to justify the things we do, the things we practice, things we say, then we're going to appeal to the New Testament as opposed to the Old Testament.
1: I think if people can just, uh, you don't have to remember all these passages that we've mm-hmm. brought up, but if you can remember two or three. Yes. And so in your conversations with your friends about, about these, these matters, if you can direct them to two or three passages, mm-hmm. try to just put that in your memory and maybe uh, in some way stick it there. And uh, just in your conversations with friends about these matters, if you can just draw on those, well, take a look at this passage. This passage says this, that'll that'll be very helpful. So you don't have to know it so thoroughly that you can give a, you know, 45 minute dissertation on it, but just remember (laughs) a couple of passages, two or three, and I think that'll be helpful.
0: Amen. Well, let's get back to this passage. Of course, as you said, last time we talked about the division uh, that once existed between Jews and Gentiles, and that uh, division has been completely eradicated through Jesus Christ. I I like the point of verse 13, "...but now in Christ you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ." Uh, And then let's just read, I know we read last time, but pick up 14 through 18 and then go through the end of the chapter. "...for He Himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation." having abolished in His flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in Himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that He might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, therefore putting to death the enmity. And He came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through Him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. And I like this concept of those who are far off. That's a reference to the Gentiles. And you'll see there's a difference in pronouns. Uh, He says in verses 11 and 12, he talks about you, once Gentiles in the flesh, you who once were far off. But then in 14, he says, for himself is our peace. And so what he's talking about is difference between Jew and Gentile being brought together into what he says, one new man. And so there's this unity where you're no longer defined by your ethnicity. You're no longer defined by the culture from which you came out of, but you're defined by Christ. And that's the sense in which you're one new man. He brings peace to those who are far off. When I thought about far off, Bob, I couldn't help but think about, you know, Peter makes that point that the promise is to you and to those who are far off, as many as our Lord will call and it's interesting at that point uh, I would suggest that Peter may not have fully understood what that meant because we know later on he uh, has some problems with that in Acts chapter 10 before God uh, teaches him that he's to call no man common or unclean but the idea of some being far off they were without God in fact Paul said in Romans 3 uh, 1 through 4 that there were many advantages uh, to being a Jew you were in a covenant relationship with God you had the promises and he talks a little bit about this too but all of those are really uh, negated in this sense When we're in Christ, those things don't really matter. Paul talks about that in Philippians 3, all the wonderful things he had in the old law. Those things have been eradicated in Christ because there's a oneness. There's a unity. Now, one of the things that I like to think about, Bob, when you think about how different the Jews and the Gentiles' were. You made the point, it necessarily was the case because the old law to which the Jews adhered to made them different. If they were following that, they were going to be, it was designed to do that. Um, What's interesting is if those two groups of people can come together, how much more so those today who are in the body of Christ. And and that's a great point because we see sometimes, perhaps we're seeing now, uh, some fractions and some divisions among those who would name uh, the name of Christ, and that is not to be so. What we saw over and over again, verse 16, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the Christ. There is this idea of unity. There's an idea of oneness uh, you can't help but think about just a couple of chapters over. Chapter 4 of Ephesians, let's begin with verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with longsuffering, bearing with one another in love. Now, I like this, verse 3. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is... One body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope, if you're calling one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's above all and through all and in you all. There is an emphasis throughout the New Testament, certainly here, on the unity of the body of Christ, the unity of the church. And one of the things I think is interesting about that is in verse 3. He suggests that this unity does not come about just by happenstance. It's probably not the natural state of men, uh, but he says you have to endeavor. You have to work hard to keep unity among the body of Christ. And you can understand that when we're going to read some more passages, when we talk about the fact that all kinds of people are drawn to the Father, Greeks and Gentiles and Jews, uh, educated, uneducated, uh, people who are slaves, people who are free, And all of these people are made one in the body of Christ. Well, what does that mean? Well, there are going to be differences, and they come from different backgrounds, and you're going to have to work that out, but you work that out by appealing to something that's higher than any of those differences, and that is the bond in Christ Jesus. So again, you could have a congregation where you would have a master, and you could have a slave. Well, in society, there's some huge divisions between those two individuals. Mm-hmm. But in Christ, they are one. Mm-hmm. The master is brought low and the slave is exalted. Right. have some thoughts on that?
1: Well, I was just noticing in this passage in Ephesians chapter 2, some of the emphasis, emphases and some of the contrasts, the emphasis on the word one, mm-hmm. verse 15, mm-hmm. one body, mm-hmm. verse 16, uh, or one man, one new man in verse 15, one body mm-hmm. in verse 16. Eight, verse eighteen, one spirit. In mm-hmm. verse twenty-one, being fitted together. Mm-hmm. Again, in verse twenty-two, built together. That's right. And so together, one, one body, one man, one spirit. The right. emphasis on being one, and also the contrast between enmity and peace. Right. And so, yes, and um, in verse. Uh, uh, Verse 16, he abolished in his flesh the enmity. Mm-hmm. And you see it again in verse 16, having put to death the enmity, mm-hmm. and he makes peace, establishing peace in verse 16 and verse 17. Right, There is there's enmity between Jew and Gentile. Sure. There is antipathy between them. That's right. If there was ever a time in the history of the church where there would be an excuse to have, right. you know, this kind of church and that kind of church, right. it might be first century. Right, you could have a Jewish church and a right. Gentile church, right. Because there's such a a history between them, a history mm-hmm. of uh, of enmity. Absolutely. Uh, but there was no excuse for it. And Paul, you know, Paul. Absolutely. You know, we're one body, and we just have to learn to work together and right. worship together. And if we have a common commitment to Christ, yes. Well, then. These other factors melt away; they're Amen. they're obliterated if we have a common commitment to Christ. So there, there is no more Jew, there is no Gentile, right. no right. male, no female, no bond right. or slave. Yep. that we're we're just one.
0: Absolutely, I love on that point. Galatians chapter three, uh, look at verses 26 through 29. Let's turn over there. Galatians the third chapter, verses 26 through 29. Bible says for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek there is neither slave nor free there is neither male nor female for you are all one in Christ Jesus and if you are Christ then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise so all of us are sons of God how is that through faith in Christ Jesus and, and then he goes on to expound upon that. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And, of course, we know baptism is made effective by faith. Colossians 2:11 through 12 says you have to have faith in the working of God. And then he goes on to say when we get into this body, when we're baptized into this body, you know, these distinctions kind of melt away. There, there is no Jew, no Greek. There is no male or female. There is no slave or free. Now, he, he's not saying, I've seen some people abuse and misuse this and say, well, there are not differences in gender and roles and things of that nature. That's not what he's saying. When it comes to salvation, God makes no distinction. It doesn't matter what your ethnicity is. It doesn't matter your station in life. It doesn't matter your gender. You can do the things that God wants you to do to be pleasing to Him and to obtain salvation. And there's not more salvation available for one or the other. It's equally available to everybody. Um, But within that, there are different roles. Like we've talked about before in other contexts, there's a role between the husband and the wife. Uh, Leaders of the congregation, uh, elders are to be men. Uh, Deacons of the congregation are to be men. Uh, You know, the women are told not to teach or have authority over men, 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 12. None of those passages is in tension with this, because what we're talking about here is when it comes to salvation and God's perspective on things, there is a oneness, there's a unity of the body. And again, we made this point a while ago that I really like. If you've got a homogenous group of people, if everybody is the same, then it might be fairly easy for folks to be one, because you came from the same culture, same background, you have the same kind of presuppositions, But when you start bringing people together from disparate elements of society and you put them together in one organization, there are the seeds of tension there. There could be tension. There could be lines of division, but not in the Lord's church because those things fade into obscurity and anonymity and and nothingness when you think about Christ's blood. What do we hear about to magnify Christ, made one in Christ?
1: Well, we jumped ahead a little bit looking at Ephesians chapter 4, but it really kind of gives us the key to, uh, to achieving this. yes with humility and mm-hmm. gentleness and patience and tolerance for one another in love that's how you attain this this unity philippians chapter 2 is yes. another passage in verse 2 make my joy complete by being of the same mind being maintaining the same love united in spirit intent on one purpose how do you do that mm-hmm. doing nothing from selfishness or empty conceit but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves yeah, you and so you know, we we the churches are made of human beings, and we you know we get uh, we go astray sometimes. But but if our attitude is well, I want I want to hear what you have to say, right? Or uh, tell me what you think, or uh, let's do it your way. That's going to go a long Amen. way, a long way in, in achieving unity. And so you put others' needs ahead of your own. You have but you have to work at it. That's right. Just Amen. like in a marriage, you have a husband and a wife. And they love each other, but sometimes they disagree, and, and they just have to work on their relationship with patience and tolerance and understanding and Absolutely. forbearance. And they, you can do it, but it takes a little work. And so you need that in the church as well.
0: Amen. I know our time is running out, but one thing I want to leave with everybody, uh, I want to challenge everybody to look within your life and see if you're in the body of Christ, that one body, what have you done to try to promote unity? Uh, is there somebody out there that you have... A schism with or a grunge against or you have not been able to get along with, something happened in the past, Uh, reach out, uh, take the affirmative. Try to make that thing go away. You can't sit there on the sideline and say, well, he's got to come to me or she's got to come to me. You take the affirmative obligation to try to pursue peace. Let's be peacemakers. Uh, As Jesus said, blessed are those who are peacemakers. Uh, Think about what can I do to promote peace in my relations to others. Uh, Think about things that you may be doing that may uh, rub people the wrong way. If you've ever gotten some feedback along those lines, Think back to that and say, what can I do to change that? I want to do everything I can. Uh, And as you said, if you think about the needs of others, how can I help others? How can I serve others? I think when you do those sorts of things, you're going to see that unity is going to be strengthened uh, in Christ. Well, we've run out of time here. As always, we want to end with a word of prayer. And so I'll ask Brother Bob to lead us.
1: Our Father in heaven, we're so thankful for the opportunity to, to study your word. We're thankful that you've revealed it to us and made it available to us and that we can look into it and we can understand what you would have us to do. Uh, In light of our study today, Father, we pray that you'll help us to to work for the unity of the local congregation where we're members, that we won't insist on our own way or do anything through selfishness, but uh, with patience and gentleness and forbearance, we will strive to work together with uh, others of like faith uh, to promote the cause of Christ in the world. Father, we know that the world is watching us, and if we're divided, if we're at odds, if there's enmity within the body of Christ, well, then that gives an opportunity for those who are on the outside to criticize and and turn away. And so, Father, help us to understand that and help us, Father, in light of that, to work even with more diligence to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Help us always to exalt the name of Jesus uh, foremost and preeminently, in our lives and in, our, in what we do, in our actions. We ha- ask you to help us as we do these things, as we pray in the name of Christ, amen. Amen.